This is a Hive Mind Studio production. Hello, gods and goblins, deities and deviants, and my fellow what-the-fucks. You're listening to Playing With Advantage, an informative podcast about the various aspects and origins of the tabletop role-playing genre. I, as always, am Kenneth Moffat, a.k.a. Southern D&D, and with me is the man himself, Mr. James the Hivemaster Bardwell. James, how are you on this fine Sunday morning? I am doing wonderful. How are you? I'm doing very well. This is episode three of our podcast, and it's funny that this took us to episode three to discuss this topic we have planned for today, and that is the session zero, as it's quite possibly the most important thing for any tabletop game, not just D&D. It is something that every tabletop game should have, and I'm amazed it took us this long to get to it. Yeah, so like zero sessions weren't really a thing uh, when I first started in the hobby. Mostly you just got together during study hall or whatever and you started playing the game. Um, But now I I absolutely would not run a game without a zero session. It's that important. It's actually kind of funny to mention that, but yeah, the session zeros, well, the name session zero is relatively new. I think it only is about like four or five years old, but the concept of the session zero, that that session where you all kind of gather together and you you make characters, you talk about what you want, that kind of stuff, that's been around since the beginning, I would think in a way. But only kind of officially here recently do you have the quote unquote session zero, and it is it's to me has become probably the most important point in starting your role-playing game. Yeah, it's a staple and a mainstay now. Just looking at relationships in general, when you sit down at this table together and you kind of make that social contract, that is a relationship. And in most relationships, most problems occur or arise from communication issues. Session zero really helps you avoid a lot of that. One of the things that the zero session does is it helps align expectations. Uh, we've got on our sheet here at the Hive that we fill out to kind of help match up players and DMs uh, a little questionnaire. And one of those questions is how serious or ludicrous do you want your game to be? Uh, do you want Monty Python or Blade Runner or somewhere in between there? See, now I, myself as a dungeon master, I usually tend to lean more toward if, if you know, zero is the perfect balance of ludicrous and, you know, seriousness, I tend to lean just a little bit to the left. I like a good, serious story, but I'm okay if like if comedy happens naturally. Now, I don't run games where, you know, we're basically playing South Park and the Stick of Truth. That That is way too far in left field for me. Now, I get, you know, I, I'm definitely the same way. Um, if you want to play that game, that's valid. That's fine. But can you imagine a group of people wanting to play that game, and then you have one person at the table that's looking for that serious experience? With lots of, you know, in-depth role play and that kind of stuff. And also not just that, uh, a big aspect that people love is that you say you love the, the role play and, and in-depth the story creation of it. What about those who just want a, you know, sword and board dungeon delve? Yeah, dungeon grinding. That's a that's a whole genre yeah, of the if, game. If you're, you know, if you're in a group where the DM goes, okay, guys, so this is going to be a political intrigue kind of game where you get together and talk and you have to pick up clues and stuff, and you're sitting there going, I want to hit stuff, I want to hit stuff, that is really not the kind of game for you. Yeah, if you don't manage those expectations up front, which is really what the Zero Session is for, you're going to have some people that are dissatisfied with the game, and they're if they're not particularly vocal, they're going to carry that around and it'll stew, and it can just kind of turn into issues that you didn't have to have because the Zero Session can help you cover that. Yes, now the... 
as, at any point of life, communication is key, and the zero session is a place where you can bring out that communication. Let's say you are the player who you were wanting more of a, a dungeon crawl, you know, sword and shield grinding game, and uh, the DM sits down and goes, well, we're playing this, you know, we're playing Curse of Strahd. Now, yeah, Curse of Strahd has its kind of, you know, attack and combat moments, but Curse of Strahd is, for D&D, is probably one of the more... It's one of the more in-depth role-playing, character-building, story progression type games. Yeah, and now he and this is a this is a wild concept. I know a lot of people, especially us as introverted nerds, don't like to do this. But if that's not the kind of session we want to play in, it's okay to go. Now nah, I'm sorry, this isn't for me. Thank you for your time. Have a good day. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with not becoming a part of an experience that you would not enjoy. These are role-playing games. It is a game. A game's first job is to entertain. And if you're not having fun, you have no reason to be playing. And it's, I'm not saying, you know, if you're not having fun, get out. No, it's, it's if you're not enjoying the game, then you're not playing it for the right reasons. Like I, funny enough, when I was, I had a, I was doing a live on TikTok this past week and somebody in there brought up that their dungeon master had made... Uh, character sheets for them. I made a character sheet for them. Yeah, and I've said that's I've I've done pre gen pre generated characters before. It's not a big thing. But then they said, well, they only did this for me. Okay, maybe they they wanted to bring you in kind of quick. That you know, and they say, well, I've also died four times, and I've come back as I've come back each time at level one. I haven't. Wait, 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 wait. You've died four or five times, and each time your DM has made you a character sheet at level one. Yes. What level are the, the other characters? Level six and seven. And they just kind of became more and more. And I finally said, look, are you having fun? And they said, no, not really. It's not being fun anymore. And I just finally said, I basically said, well, at this point, I think it's time that you just tell your dungeon master. After, if you've tried talking to them, if you've expressed, and they said, yes, I've expressed all this. They, they kind of made it seem like, well, it was my fault I wasn't enjoying, which that's an entire another part we'll get into. And I said, at this point, it sounds like you have a dungeon master who cares more about what they are getting out of their story than what you are getting out of it. And I think at that point, it's just, you know, and as somebody said, no D&D is better than bad D&D. And I firmly believe that. Yeah. So a bad relationship is a bad relationship. Yes. Right. And you don't need to be in a bad relationship, just hands down. For me, you know, you mentioned the, the DM kind of being more interested in his story and things than the players and them enjoying the game. The approach that I use towards running a game is very similar to parenting, which, you know, I've done that, got two grown kids. They turned out pretty great. Um, you need to look at your characters and try to figure out how can I help them? How can I make them grow? What experiences can I give them to make them better characters? And if you're not doing that, you know, maybe consider including it. It's actually interesting you mention that because something that uh, I think in a session zero, that as, you know, the kind of the dungeon master comes together and you bring everybody in, um, like I, I have, when I, when I do a session zero, I have several questions. One of which I ask them is, what are you expecting from this game? And that's where you can go, well, I want a, a you know, I want a, a what, what, how, does my, how does my father say it? A shoot 'em up fighting style. Uh, they just want action and combat, you know, get, go get more loot for more action and combat. Well, that's fine for that person. And then this person here goes, I, I want to build a, I want a story where I can build a town, you know, build a castle, 
bring people in, you know, build a more kind of like uh, technical game where I'm, you know, overseeing a town and running it and that yeah. kind of stuff. Resource management. Resource management. The third person goes, well, I want a story where it's more, we're developing more about backstories where like I might, I feel like my backstory is part of the world and, and building, you know, character creation. And those are all three valid forms of play in a role-playing game. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with either of those. No. And then, you know, that's at the point where the Dungeon Master goes, well, unfortunately, the style of game I'm running is the more combat-oriented or the more resource management or the more story-driven. And that's the point where the players, if they don't feel comfortable playing in that style of game, they can go, okay, I'm sorry it's not going to work out, but thank you for letting me sit at the table. It was great. And you can leave and no hard feelings. So I've I've ran games before where I've had those three people sitting at the table, right? Uh, and those are all pieces to assemble a good game. I really think that the magic comes when the DM can figure out a way to have touch points for each of those things. A good thing to do, like, again, the managing expectations is when you tell people, look, this is part of the game, but it's not something that's necessarily going to happen every session. But they understand that that time will come. And that makes them a little more engaged when that's not happening. You know, it, it helps keep them as part of the party, part of the relationship, knowing that that thing that they're interested in is going to have coverage. Yes. Uh, on there, uh, you kind of mentioned and touched on like the different characters and stuff. Another aspect that kind of can let you see what style of game you're wanting to play is, a, uh, is an aspect in the Session Zero is the character creation. Now, I know, like, I've had some games where people already come with their characters pre-made. Uh, they, they've already asked questions. And also, this is where something you touched on in our previous episodes, Discord. Have a Discord for your game so that they can ask these questions about, uh, hey, how are we generating our, our stats? Like, what's allowed? This kind of stuff. And then they get their base questions done over the Discord. And somebody may ask something that somebody else wanted to know. And so when you finally come to the game, to that first session, to the session zero, a lot of times the character's already created. You just have a few little things to iron out and that kind of stuff. But character creation. Now, before the advent of the internet and Discord, uh, I remember we sat at a session for nearly three hours just building characters. That's all we did. That, that's been a big part of the zero sessions I've been a part of. Um, and that, I don't want to jump ahead, but that touches on etiquette a little yes, bit, yes. table etiquette. Um, stepping on toes as far as roles are concerned is something that really causes problems for games. And that's something you can address in character creation in the zero session. Yes. Because if everybody is together, whether it's on Discord or at the table, and they're working on their characters together, it kind of helps establish, you know, I intend on being useful in this area. I intend on being useful in this area. And if there are going to be overlaps and problems during that zero session, you can discuss yeah. that as long as everybody's making those characters yes. together. And at that point, you kind of like, you know, go, hey, you know, uh, you, you've got the higher charisma. So, yeah, like when we're discussing, like when we need somebody to kind of step up and be the face of the group, we'll defer to you. But now our fighter over here is building his character to be the combat tactician. So maybe during combat, we'll all step back, like him take the forefront. You kind of, you fall into the roles in a role-playing game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's even in the name. Yeah, it's, it's a role-playing game. One of my flagship characters that I play is a bard named Santiago. I love playing my bard. I can do bard pretty well. Um, in the game that I'm currently in as a player right now, we have a bard named Metronome. And uh, he does a fantastic job. 
the, the guy that plays metronome um, has really nailed some things, even part of bards that I haven't really explored. Um, the technical aspects, the, the how to use him in battle and stuff, he's great at that. Um, I do bard, but not in that game. Uh, I play uh, a monk who's kind of an investigator, and my natural inclination when we get to speaking parts is to almost immediately open my mouth, but you know I bite my tongue because I know that that player that plays metronome has got it. Like he knows that you know there's no need for me to step in there, and that's that's kind of etiquette. That's the thing that you do. You let the person who's geared for that role handle that role. So actually, we can move in because something that's very important to me and I like to focus on a lot is what I call table etiquette. It is the 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 rules and the kind of unwritten and un uh, kind of unaddressed, but you know it's their kind of knowledge and social interactions, not of the the actual characters in the game, so to speak, but of the people playing them around the table. And I think a lot of a lot of issues and a lot of you know hardship arises in that you don't kind of sit down and go, okay, guys, here is here here is my table etiquette. As the dungeon master, you ultimately have control of that table. Now, you can be one of those who you're just so controlling and you're so scared to let other people kind of take the reins that you just give all these very stringent rules that make no sense. But at the same time, you don't want to be the one that just goes, okay, uh, you can do whatever you want to. It's complete and utter chaos. I'm just here to say if you pass or not. So you got to kind of find that, that middle ground. That's where the, like, the whole discussion of table etiquette does come up, and it helps. For me in that area, I go back to the parenting thing again. Uh, when I first started, you know, raising our kids, uh, by the way, he says ours, not mine and him. He, he is a happily married man. I, however, ladies am quite single and available. Hi, how y'all doing? Super sexy. I, I'll just put his phone number on the internet. Everybody can call him. It's eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine. I'm pretty sure that's not it. Um, <laughs> but I, I was one of those parents that tried to keep the kids from getting into anything. Like when we first started with our children, um, my wife and I, again, not me and Moffat, um, although I'm sure Moffat would be an excellent partner, uh, advertisement here. Uh, but eventually I learned that I have to let them make some mistakes and you teach them through, you know, the consequences of their actions. Uh, I had a player who at level three thought it was a great idea to jump a dragon. He died when he made his new character. He avoided dragons for several <laughs> levels. Uh, and it's some of that, you know, there's a point to where you're being a dick as a DM if you're running them up against that kind of stuff. But if they come across something that they know they can't handle, it's okay to walk away from that. And that's a thing that they have to learn. That's, you know, part of it. I, I, for my session zeros, I actually have a what I call my list of rules. Uh, one of them is the, the rule... While I will not try to outright kill you, I will not save you from your stupidity. Exactly. And that, I mean, I have, I have had games where, like the game I'm currently running right now that I live stream, my Natural Ones game, uh, my bard, for, for some reason, decided to jump in after this, this evil character into what was nearly a bottomless chasm without being certain he had a way to save himself. He literally just jumped right in and the other character who could fly, who was also going down after this this person, saved the person. And they're just like, he's, we can't, he's too, oh God, he's going to. And I look over the bars rushing through and finally he goes, 
aha, I do have something after all. And it turns out he did. He gashed his form. But I'm sitting there going, Montel, you realize I couldn't save you right. Had you not lucked up and had that item that can do that, I wasn't, I, there was nowhere for me to save you. I'm not going to lie. He goes, I understand that. I made the decision. I was fine with the consequences. And that, that's the thing is that your players, and actually Dungeon Masters too, uh, when, you do, when you do something in-game, it will have consequences in-game. I, as a dun- yeah. I, even I, as a Dungeon Master, had, learned, had to learn the, the folly of mistakes when I give players too much freedom, when I don't give them enough freedom. If I'm trying to, especially as a, as a first-time GM, you have a tendency to want to get your players to like you. And I did that by giving them the bank. Anything they wanted, any magical item. And, you know, by level three, they're they're decked out in more, you know, <laughs> more merchandise uh, than any wizard in, in the world. And I'm like, okay, I literally cannot. There's nothing that's challenging for them. They're blowing through everything. And just the game became not fun to both of us because there was no challenge. We ended up having kind of reset. Yeah. Well, um, when I was young playing, uh, our DM then had a system for dealing with when we had accrued too much power. He created this race called the Jato. Okay. Uh, these are basically D&D Predator, right? Uh, these things, when we got too powerful, they would come down, and when we were a sufficient challenge, they would hunt us, and they would just take all of our stuff. <laughs> um, so we still had you know strong characters because we were sufficiently leveled, but by the time they were done, uh, we weren't carrying the same gear, more a, more or less. A way I kind of do that is this, I've mentioned it's called my character called the Trade Lich. Yeah. What I'll do is I'll have the Lich come up, and then I'll point to the person and go, okay, what items do you have? And if they've got three or four really powerful items that I'm kind of warping the game, what I can do is take one of those, but give them an item that's just as useful without, as you know, reality shifting. Yeah. Uh, that you know, I, there was one who thought they were going to take the item and then try to get back their original item from the trade lich. Uh, their their smoking corpse is a fine memorial of what happens. <laughs> Again, consequences. One of the things I like to say is that when it comes to role playing games, a lot of the magic is in the mistake. Yes. Um, those are a very fun part of the game, um, but there's balance, as in everything. You need to find balance in that. So actually, speak about consequences and balance. Uh, another rule of mine is what happens at the table and what happens in the world does not affect anything outside of it. I am very much against dungeon masters who use in-game consequences to try and settle real-world issues, or vice versa. That is just one hundred percent wrong. It is, uh, and you know, we'll hopefully maybe toward the end of this we can get into what are called red flags. Maybe something we can bring into, but, but yeah, let's say you know that uh, we played a game before D&D and I won, but you're a little bit salty, but you're my dungeon master. So now you're like, huh, I'm going to make you, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to ruin him to prove, to show him what happens when you beat me. No, that's, that's just. That's unacceptable in D&D. It's perfectly acceptable if you're playing Commander Magic the Gathering, but D&D, <laughs> that's unacceptable. I mean, and to use a line from the old uh, movie Hook, it's bad form. I mean, it's bad etiquette. 100%, yeah. So we've kind of talked about house rules just a little bit. Um, so some of the house rules that I like to cover in Zero Session uh, is like flanking, because flanking is not a cement definite part of the game. That's yes. an optional thing. Some people use it, some people don't. What is your actually? That's kind of what is your rule for flanking? What do you do? So, if you had asked me two years ago, 
I would say that flanking should always be in the game. You should get advantage for that. It has to be a part of it. And then our current DM uh, pulled flanking out of the game. And I was very upset, and um, like we had several after-session discussions about it. But as I am not excited about doing, I eventually came around and admitted he's right. Uh, it actually added an element to the game, so that like the rogue, who gets advantage under certain conditions, yes. or like the vengeance paladin, it makes their class more flavorful. It makes it, you know, stronger. As opposed to just everybody, okay, step one, get flanking. Step two, two you yeah. know, yeah. So it actually added something to the game. I would probably say that most of the time now, unless it's really important to my table, I would probably run without flanking as an advantage. I, I do a modified flanking because there, there are certain parts of flanking that didn't make sense to me. Like, yeah, let's say I'm taking on a fellow, you know, me as a medium-sized creature takes on another medium-sized creature. We're basically the same size and somebody gets behind him, well, he's having to divert his attention. That makes sense. But you mean to tell me that the Tyrannosaurus Rex that I'm standing in front of and my halfling partner is behind, he he is now threatened by, by the two of us? No, no, no. What I do is if, if your party has, uh, basically, if you have controlled half of their area, a T-Rex has a, an effective area of, of eight squares, that means if you have four square coverage, then you're forcing him to kind of move and look around. It adds more kind of a, like an actual kind of battle tactic to it than just, hey, I'll stand here, you get behind him. Now, what that also means is my players can also be flanked. Yeah. Because one of my house rules is whatever your characters can do, whatever a PC can do, an NPC, NPC can, do. can do also. Yes. Both of those things make a lot of sense, yes. too. I really like that version of flanking, though. I may steal that. Yeah, especially for like bigger creatures, it makes a lot of sense. Another thing um, that's one of the house rules that people kind of go different ways on, and I think I remember it, watching some of your stuff where you do this is the crit miss ah, and crit hits. Yes. Like, there's, do you, don't you do like a random thing? I, I do. Uh, originally, it was just the whole, you know, well, double damage, yada, yada, but that just became so boring. And I was doing a little bit of looking around online because for Pathfinder, they made critical success and failure cards. So I'm like, as popular as 5e is, they've got... So I looked online, found some made by Cobalt Press, love their material. And I asked my friendly neighborhood, love, loving, handsome, sophisticated store owner, uh, the Hive Master himself, folks, as he's over there, you know, just currently stroking his beard. Very... He's no longer single, guys. <laughs> And he got me uh, 5e critical success and fail cards. And the thing is, it's not just for, like, yeah, most of it's for combat. Uh, but a lot of that is, you know, you, like, any kind of, like, magical effect. And it, it allows for more flavorful. Because, yeah, there are some where, like, so normally if you roll a natural 20, you just double your dice damage at your modifier. But now if you roll a natural 20, there's things that range from you slice off an enemy's limb to you do a deadly wound and you almost decapitate them. And it adds in levels, but at the same time, my players go, oh no, if we get a natural 20 against us, that could happen to us. Yeah, that, that mirror of fear is there for them as well. They're yes. like, that's awesome. Then they realize, wait a minute, like, this oh could God, happen no. to me. Yeah, it's... I love things like that that add flavor to the game. And you're right, Cobalt Press is amazing. Yes. Uh, if they're listening, uh, give us a call. Uh <laughs> But a another uh, another big homebrew rule that I I do it's this one's kind of a funny one I know a lot of DMs kind of homebrew it's with uh, like health potions rules as written 
Health potion is an action to drink. Okay. That means, but that's also, uh, that's if you're drinking it, if you're giving it to somebody, it is your entire action to pull out a health potion, pop the top, and drink it. A, a turn, a round in D&D is six seconds. I can open a bottle, I can open a 20-ounce bottle of drink and slurp half of it down under six seconds. So what I do is, for me, in my game, if you are, if you're drinking the potion, that's a bonus action. If you're having to give somebody the potion, like feed them the potion, yeah. that's the action. Because it's the difference of, you know, rip the top off, glug, glug, as opposed to, here, let me hold you, pop the top, get this in your mouth, hold yeah. your head. Yeah, that takes a, a lot more time than just drinking now, it. Now, there is a homebrew rule that I'm, I've been kind of hearing a lot of people use is where when you drink the potion, if you choose to drink it as an action, because you are drinking the entirety of it, getting the entire potion, you heal for the max amount possible. Ooh, I like that a That's lot. That's interesting. I've been seeing that on TikTok a lot recently. So you mentioned a term there, and I know it's something we've got to get into. This is another one of the questions here at the Hive on the questionnaire for setting up games. Are you rules as written or rule of cool? To what percentage? That's something that needs to be covered in zero session because very much you yes. have you have veteran players who know the rules backwards and forwards. Now, when real quick, what do we mean when we say rules as written? What is what is that referring to? So in the book, there are the rules. And they are written as plainly as they can be written there. Uh, and to a almost legal degree, some people follow those rules. And yes. that's rules as written. Yes. If you can expect no deviation from what is written in the book and the clearest interpretation of that, that's rules as written. What, what in outer, in outer world, what in outer game terms would be called uh, the letter of the law. The letter of the law. The letter yes. of the law, Yes. And then you have what we call the rule of cool, or the uh, there was this like the rule of flair or something was another term for it a long time ago, which is more the spirit of the law, where you look at these and go, yeah, you know, this says this here, but it probably actually is trying to mean this. And then you have where I occasionally skew, which is, damn, that was cool. Yeah, like that's. I mean, look, there. <laughs> there I'll, I'll be honest. There are times where in combat, my players have done a great, amazing job. They did this awesome critical success. Things went great. And I look down and I go, well, technically, by the rules, this monster has like an additional 30 HP left. But you know what? That, that, we'll just we'll mark the We're rest close. Of We're, yeah. That was awesome. They put their all into it. Let's reward them. Let's yeah. reward them, yeah. Uh, now, I, myself, I am very much kind of a, I'm, I'm kind of a 60-40. Like, I, I will go by the rules a lot. But there are a few things I'm like, no, this 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 doesn't work, or this really doesn't make any sense in the current context. I mean, again, the the rules are there for a reason. The yes. framework needs to exist. It is healthy. There's nothing wrong with any percentage allotment of those two things. Yes. Now I know a lot of a lot of dungeon masters homebrew things to the uh, to the aspect of uh, these races aren't allowed. These spells are banned. These subclasses. And that is a conversation that really needs to happen at the session zero. It has to happen at the session zero. I have seen people come into uh, a session zero and they're like, I want to play a, a Warforged, you know, in this world. And that is just not the setting that they're in. You know, that kind of thing doesn't exist yes. there. For the longest time, I had a lot of what I called banned races from bad past experiences. But, you know, I realized that that wasn't doing anything except hindering my players. Yeah, because like one in a very common one that a lot of dungeon masters don't allow are the tabaxi race, the the cat folk. Yeah, uh, for obvious reasons, I you can imagine the different uh, issues that could be brought up. Uh, but 
now. I, I allow tabaxi. I allow the turtle. Uh, another big one is the Aarakocra or Aarakocra, which is the flying race. Because a lot of DMs hate flying characters. Uh, so to, to my, my Emerald Dragonborn listening to this, if you ever hear this, you have no idea how lucky you are that you have a dungeon master who allows you to fly in his game. I cannot tell you how many times I have wanted to play an Aarakocra and kind of been shut down a little bit. Level one, a flying character, that that makes the DM do a lot of work. It does. I, I get that. Uh, However, does. I'm always appreciative when I do get to play yes. that level one flying character. It, it, you know, it makes your DM go, okay, well, suddenly these, these out-of-reach places aren't out-of-reach. And honestly, to be fair, a lot of players, for lack, I don't want this to come off sounding condescending, but a lot of players don't think outside of the box enough to go, I'm going to break the Aarakocra. Yeah. They just want to play a bird person who can fly, and that, that's, that's fine. Uh, it's not as busted in combat. Uh, you know, I'm going to fly up 40 feet, and ha now nothing can touch me. Oh, look, suddenly all of my enemies have whips, they have ropes, they have throwing daggers, and that, that's a heavy crossbow. And look who's in the air by himself, and if he gets knocked out, we'll take one die six fall damage for every 10 feet. Uh-oh. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's... Like, I allow Eric Coker's. A, uh, one originally that I did not allow, because I didn't know how to work it into my world... Was Warforge, and I love the Warforge race, but now I've got I have a story reason why it's in there. Uh, but yeah, like flying, I know a lot of a lot of DMs ban the Wish spell at higher levels. I think yeah. there was one where they ban Counter spell. But all these different, you know, what's allowed and what's not allowed is something that needs to happen at the session zero, and also uh, what it's called un- unearth Arcana or homebrewed material. That is also something. Now. Personally, myself, I prefer official printed works by wizards because those are usually tested. Yeah. They've been worked over. Uh, and also, nothing setting specific. Like, you know, if you have something that only, hey, this thing is a Demir house agent. We're, we're not playing in Ravnica. There, there is no Demir house. You know, that so kind of stuff. That is one of the things that I really like about them including the magic, the gathering stuff in the D&D realms yes. now. Is it, if you want to play that thing that's kind of off book because of the whole planeswalker and moving through, through planes and things, it gives you a plausible reason for that to possibly be there. Yes. Now, I think that there should be consequences for that, though. If you want to play a Warforged in a world where there are no Warforged and he's a quote-unquote planeswalker, he has to wear a cloak. He's got to stay covered up. you got to be real careful with him in town, that kind of stuff. I mean, those need to be a part of that exception if the group and the DM choose to make that exception. And that, that those are actual reasonable consequences that could happen. Like if, if this large mechanical creature is suddenly walking around in a place where their, their technology level is, you know, late, late iron age, you know, suddenly wizards want this thing. What's right. Is it magically driven it? Yeah. Now, you first know, of all, it's a monster. It's a monster. You know, people are going to attack it. Yeah. Uh, you, so your villagers want to attack it, but then you got these people that want it. Well, it's armor. What's its armor? And you got all these people suddenly who want to go after this thing. What's really cool is that gives you adventure hooks too, though, it does. because you have wizards that are like, like you said, what is this? How did this happen? Can I reproduce it? So now all of a sudden you have this wizard or this cabal of wizards who are hunting your warforged. And I think and that's that kind of stuff is uh, deals with communications because also dungeon masters uh, don't be afraid. You know, a lot of a lot of times dungeon masters they'll hear something they want to go. Well, no, no, that's. Don't be afraid to go, yes, but. I love yes, but. Yes, but is great. You know, in the the improv, like an improv class, they always tell you yes, and. You never say no. Yes, and. Yes, and. Yes, and. 
But as a dungeon master, there are times where you're like, okay, that's a little bit too much. So you go, yes, but. And that's where the open communication, you kind of work with your players and that kind of stuff. I really think those two words uh, can help improve games, just yes. hands down. Yes. And a, another thing that to me that can also help improve games is uh, get feedback from your players. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of another rule of etiquette where occasionally, like, you have to take the entire session, but, you know, maybe at the end of a session, before the next session, sit down and go, okay, guys, what are you thinking? Do you, are you enjoying this? Is it lacking anything? What, uh, is it, are you getting something from it? If not, what do you want to get from this? Communication is a big key in every aspect of life. And, and the fact that, you know, you are coming together at, at places multiple times, you know, sometimes multiple times a week or, you know, once a week, however so often, and you're spending all this time together, you don't just want to sit there and, you know, kind of bottle it up and keep all your thoughts to yourself, uh, talk about things. And kind of segueing into that is uh, another, my main thing for it is where and when are you going to play these games? Yeah. And that is something else that can be brought to the, that needs to be brought to the session zero. Now, thankfully, I am lucky in the fact that my where and when was provided for me. Here at the Hive, Macomb, Mississippi, we have an amazing role play room. It is, it is so immersive and so just, there's like a stone motif wall. There is, there is a bear head on the walls, folks. This, this place is awesome. His name's Fidel. Fidel. Oh, I love Fidel. He was a companion for one of my rangers. Somebody give him a Cuban cigar. Uh, <laughs> but not everybody has that. And so you need, your session zero needs to be, okay, guys, yeah, we can all meet here today, but when can we play next? When is open for everybody's schedule? When can you know? When can you play? What days are off limits and that kind of stuff? Yeah. Aside from communication, I think scheduling is the absolute biggest campaign killer, and that's something that you can address in the zero session and develop protocols for if you're going to be late, if you're going to miss a session, because a lot of people don't address that until a session is missed by a player, and then it's kind of up in there. Well, what do we do? Do we just mini mouse them in there, and they show up magically? You know having been through all the stuff everybody else has without knowing what they did. So uh, I'm, that's, it's a big thing because first of all, life happens. Absolutely. Uh, I, I often kind of impress on my players that guys say, you know, I understand, I understand this is a game. Life takes precedent. So if something has come up where, you know, you can't be here regularly on that day, let me know. We can work days and that kind of stuff. Uh, there, there is nothing. It's nothing more disheartening to a dungeon master than you. You got, you got this great game you've set up. You found all the people, all your players. You have the session zero conversation. Yeah, we can be here on you know Sunday nights, six p.m. to ten o'clock. We got this. We can make it. And you get there and you sit down and one person shows up and you suddenly get a bunch of hey yeah. Turns out this wasn't going to work for me after all. Uh, so, and then you're like going, well, if they had told me this to start with the session zero, we could have, we could have adjusted it. Yeah. Because there is the, there is the, the other side of that where you always, you don't want to have that one player who no matter, they want other people to make exceptions for them, but then they don't want to make exceptions for other, other people. Yeah. And that is another big thing of etiquette to me is cause that's a form of disrespect. Yeah. And I am very much, in my session zero, my first rule I throw out is respect. Respect me, as the, uh, respect me, respect your fellow players, respect my table, respect my game. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah, I, and the, the owner of the table is sitting here, so I can say this. I don't mean that, like, I own this table, it's mine. 
the the moment you sit down at a D&D game or any role-playing game, be it your dungeon master, your game master, your game mother, your dice runner, whatever the name given to that person who has made the story and is running the system is, they are, in a, in a sense, in control of the table. And you have to, to quote a kid from South Park, you have to respect their authority to an extent. <laughs> now, that does not mean you sit there and let them basically become a narcissistic, egomaniacal god. No. But you do have to give over a certain amount of control of, of your adventure to them. And the dungeon master should do the same thing. Like, when I play with my natural ones, I know for a fact that I'm giving over control of my world to them. Yeah. They, this world I've worked almost a decade on that I've, I've built, I've, I've got maps for, I've got NPCs, all this stuff made. I go, okay, guys, I respect all of you and your abilities. I'm trusting you. Here is my world. Let's play a game. Yeah. So one of the things uh, I learned working for, uh, it was it was a Fortune 500 company at the time, uh, when they would send us off to do management training, is the principles of ownership and investment. You said, you know, this table, your table. When you are in here, that is how that should feel for you. You should take ownership of this table because that then makes it something personally resonating in you you have pride in it you have pride in it you know there's a responsibility there you want to make sure that this functions well it does you know what what it should do and then the principle of investment i have found out that if someone has any type of investment like if you pay a few dollars to sit in those chairs and play for those four hours they're going to show up i paid for that i want to recoup my investment yes um, and that goes the same. That goes the same for things like uh, writing a background for your character. If you require your char- your players to write a little something for their character, maybe not a thirteen page backstory, maybe a three page backstory. The the uh, the actual like distaste as you said anything under a ten page backstory just not going to see in your eyes, James. No, I, that's I mean it has to be at least ten pages for me to feel comfortable that I have correctly <laughs> communicated all of the delicate nuances of my character. <laughs> but if they take that time um, and they put that effort into it creatively, then they will want to represent that character because there has been an investment and they want to prove out that investment. Right. There, another, you said a word there, effort. That's something else I always kind of uh, kind of touch on. It kind of goes on that first one is, uh, not like you don't have to put as much effort into the game as the dungeon master. Nobody, God, no. nobody wants you to do that. As a player, you shouldn't have to do that. The, the dungeon master is voluntarily and willfully taking on that. They are taking on that burden, knowing what's going to happen. As a player, you should at least put forth the effort to keep yourself aware of what is happening in the game. Yeah. And to me, the biggest form of disrespect is when I am in a deep story mode. I'm telling things. Something happens, and one of my players looks up and goes, wait, what, 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 what happened? What's going on? Yeah, it's discouraging. You know, if if you're as involved as as you are, that I have seen you be as a DM, and somebody doesn't put that minimum effort in, you know, that's discouraging. That that hits hard, you know. That is a little bit of a disrespect. And like you said, we should all have mutual respect for each other at this table. Now, I understand, like, there was one time where two of my players were role-playing. Like, I could hear them in character having a conversation, advancing the story, getting ideas. 
and I did something that was meant to shock everybody, and they went, wait, well, what's happening? What's going on? They reacted and cared. That's fine. Yeah. But what I'm talking about is I'm here going, so as you enter into the tavern, you look around, there's a fireplace here, giving just basic description. And I glance over and I see you on TikTok, or I see you on Facebook, or I see you on insert random social uh, app here that you have no business being on. And I go, okay, player B, what are you doing? Wait, wait, what's going on? Where are we? Yeah. That is disrespectful. Yeah. Now, I know for a long time, phones were banned at the table. And because of, again, we just previously talked about technology, the technology yes. issue, phones are back at the table. Yes. But that needs to be a conversation in the zero session, why they're at the table and what it's okay for them to be used for. Because you don't, you don't want your players to be scrolling TikTok when you're covering like plot information. Yes. Uh, and especially, I, it even what offend what actually what gets me more than when they do it to me is when they do it to their fellow player. Yeah, like I I sat in a game where I wasn't running, but the the person was giving this like deep in depth story driving uh, character developing moment, and like I'm over here going, Jesus, this this is deep. This is amazing. This is really good work. This is good work. And all of a sudden, Joe Schmo the Rogue goes, Hey, I want to do this. Yeah. Oh. I'm like, man, I'm so glad I'm I'm on a computer right now because I I would have that no. Yeah. That the it's it's something that will hopefully again with red flags, but it's where one player doesn't respect the player agency of the entire table. Yeah. Well, it, it's called the main character syndrome. Yep. Now look, I understand and we we mentioned before, it is normal for a a leader to kind of evolve from the group, someone to kind of take, give directions, go, let's go over here. It, I would say it would almost happen every time. It happens every time. But it's the person who tries to force themselves into that role Yeah. that I'm like, okay, man, hang, hang on. Honestly, they want to do this over here. I understand you want to be helpful, but you're going against their wishes. Uh, and it's kind of, you're being, yeah, it's especially, especially if the player does it, by by trying to be just a provocateur, be impulsive, and just being aggressive towards his, his other people, his other players. So, as far as the leadership and role development goes, one of the conversations that I have most of the time when we're doing zero sessions is leadership within roles. You know, we talked about you know covering roles, like hey, the guy with the high charisma. When we're talking to like state officials and stuff, when we're bargaining for prices, he probably needs to be the one doing that. You know, when we're in a fight, the guy with the 21 armor class that takes half damage or whatever, he needs to be up front for that. I think that the leadership position should be communicable according to of what's going on at the moment. Yes. Right? And if you have a character that always wants to be up front, always wants to be the leader in every situation, that's unhealthy. And, you know, it's okay to pull him aside and say, hey, you're stepping on their toes. This is this person's role. They should be allowed to lead there. Now, it's a very common thing that I've seen happens, especially with new D&D players. They've never played any kind of role-playing game before, and they see, especially the common thing, it's going to be like like Skyrim, or it's going to be like some of these animes they've seen. And they, you know, they want to do all this cool stuff. They want to, you know, have have a pet. This is, by the way, this is an actual conversation with with a player of mine. I'm not going to say who, though. It's, it's, yeah. They wanted a pet dragon. They want to have all these weird shadow abilities and this family sword that does all this. And then, yeah, they want to be hundreds of you and yada, yada, yada. I'm like, man, 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 hang on, hang on now. You're level one. Yeah. <laughs> you, you are, you have just come out of boot camp. I mean, if you're starting an adventure and your characters are an advanced level, you know, six, 10, 15, whatever, your backstory can be appropriate to that. But yes. if you're level one, 
You're just starting out, my guy. You're going to have to build that dude. And so when, when they think coming in at level one, they have all this, you know, you know, that, you know, I'm, I'm an adventurer. I'm going to, you know, stroll up to the king and insult him. And wait, why is my head getting chopped off? Yeah. Again, consequences. Consequences. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just kind of going back to the, uh, the, the respect of the table, uh, is now with, with, uh, playing here at an, at a, at a business, this is not something that comes up as much, but the majority of people who play these role-playing games are adults. Yeah. And so there are always, uh, well, we'll get into a second part of this, but we'll start off with, uh, things like alcohol, other substances, that kind of stuff. That obviously at a store like this, it is banned. That is not not out the table. Yeah, we don't do that in our regular business hours here in our private room. Yes, it's a private room, but it's not that it's private. Not that private. Uh, now, however, that is still something you could have a conversation about. Like I know here in the United States, there is still the connotation and the whole thing with marijuana and that kind of stuff. Other places around the world, it's it's allowed. That's still something you just don't want to, you know, show up blazed out of your mind because that, and to me, is another form of disrespect to where you sit down so out there that you have no idea what's happening. And it's, it's the whole point of being alert and what's going on. Look, if, if, you can, if you can smoke the devil's lettuce and still understand what's happening in the game and not miss anything, more power to you. But that is a very serious conversation you should have with the dungeon master you know, hey, if we if you said we could bring snacks and stuff, well, can can I bring an adult beverage? Yeah, okay. Well, if so, uh, like, can I just sit here and you know, basically, yeah, pound beer back back to back to back cans of it, or is it more of like, are we going to have sipping alcohol type stuff? So we we play a lot of D and D. Our family, personally, our friends uh, here, um, and we occasionally say, hey. Let's have an after-hours type D&D game. Yes. And that's fine for that because it's usually a one-shot, and we've talked up front about what the intentions are there, right? Yes. Because occasionally that's fun. Uh, but your your everyday game that you're playing with a continuum, you know, you don't necessarily... Uh, for me, okay? I can only say for me. That's like, I, I'm in that boat with you as well. For me, I want that experience to be something that has continuity, uh, it it evolves, it it progresses in a logical way. A lot of times when we do those one shots, the kind of quote unquote after hours, hours. game may not progress exactly logically. <laughs> but like if I if especially if I've paid to play and I sit down and Joe Dirt beside me is going, All right, so I'd like to roll to try to seduce the dragon. There there isn't a dragon. Well, let's go find a dragon. I wouldn't and just start and know that it's it comes to setting boundaries as the dungeon master and having your players have their own boundaries. So talking about boundaries, and I know we've mentioned this a couple of times now, let's go ahead and discuss red cards. Very much. Uh, red cards are... So the term red card, card and I actually know this because, ha sports ball, uh, is a soccer term. It is something that happens in soccer where if a referee gives you a little, it's just a red card, you're gone. You're ejected from that game. You cannot come back to it. You are gone. And we say that in references to things, actions, words, basically stuff that you as the player, stuff that actually just anybody will do that makes somebody go, uh-uh, that's too far. Yeah, and generally it is predicated on some type of signal. Um, the, I've actually seen cards used. Um, I, I've seen people just use the text or whatever. 
But each player, if they have an issue that is something that they don't want to touch on at all in a game, um, they can communicate that uh, most often privately to the DM during the zero session. Yes. You know, you make your, your contact information available and they can let you know that. Because as you are planning, as you're creating this world, as you're evolving this story for them, you need to know those types of things. Because it's really uncomfortable when you've put a lot of work into a session and it revolves around, and I'm just going to use something common here, like there's an, a scene where torture happens. Yes. Okay? First of all, uh, there's a couple of different ways to cover that. Um, one is this in-depth where you describe things, and most people aren't going to want that. Ooh. That's not good. Um, then there's the PG-13 movie version where, you know, you hear voices from the door you get an Sounds idea of, of what's screaming, happening. Exactly. Kind of, yeah. One of the things that we uh, often tell people here is, hey, we try to keep a PG-13 environment here at the Hive, and I've probably already used the F-bomb. I'm about to say, yeah, we, we already allowed one fuck, and yeah. I just used it for the podcast See, there. We're so, done yeah, We're done. We're well, done. Technically, okay. that's your second. That's the second the one? Intro, the intro. What, we're, we're, okay, if we go by the early 90s PG-13, we're good. We can have five uses of the F-bomb, and someone can show their, uh, show their chest, and we'll still be okay. Uh, are we going to like Rojambeau to see who gets to do that? I, I, I don't know. Hey, uh, I'm about to say we can let our, our tech goblin go for it. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. yeah, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> but yeah, that's, <laughs> and, and honestly, we, we're, we're kind of making a lot, but it is a very serious thing. With, like, a, with a, the, you mentioned the torture. Uh, something I like to, uh, something that I, I do in my stories is I'll either allude to the fact torture has happened. Yeah. Or I will do the, you hear the sound of straining ropes, bone snapping, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't really go in there, you watch, he takes the scythe, and you, no, 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 that's yeah. a little bit too much. So, um, I guess another thing that you can do is discuss the degree of description. Yes. For things, because like, I've seen people have no problem with the idea of, say, torture in a game. Yes. But... I've also been in a game where somebody describes that in a way to where it like, okay, God, no, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Uh, like I, I have a, a game that I, I run where one of my players has an issue with eyeballs, eyes. Yeah. And I've had to kind of catch myself because a very common description I'll use is when I dislike this, especially if like say someone's head is, is damaged or destroyed. I'll mention, you know, stuff goes flying, that kind of stuff. And I've had to stop myself. I'll start doing things like, Ocular orbital um, organs go flying. It's, it's it's just that one word they have a problem with. Yeah. And that's as a dungeon master, you know, you kind of have to make make kind of uh, rooms. To, that's fine. That's a small little little tweak that I can easily make to a game. Covering that in a zero session gives your game master time to decide uh, if like how they're going to approach it in the game. But it also gives them time to figure out if someone else who doesn't know what this issue yes. is, someone has. How they can move it away yes. from that. Now, I'll be honest. When they're not there, eyes. Eyes everywhere. Eyes are going. Eyes are getting thrown. It's just eyes. <laughs> but now, the the one that I've kind of... there There is one. I have a firm... And this is... I say this every time. Because, yes, in my game, we it is an adult game. Even though it is PG-13, it is an adult. There are adults playing it. There are going to be adult situations. One of which is how intimacy or sexuality is is addressed in it. Mm -hmm. And I, for those of you who know this is, uh, I use what's called the Harkness test. For those of you who don't, there is a character named Captain Jack Harkness. He was I'm familiar. Uh, he was on Doctor Who, I believe Torchwood was the was the yes, big Torchwood. TV show. He had a test of three questions. Uh, one, is it sentient? Two, is it of legal age? And three, 
can it give vocal consent? If all of those three answers are yes, he went for it. If at any point any of those answers were no, it's off limits. And I bring that in because you all, occasionally you will get the bard that wants to, you know, jump everything. But I look at him and I go, okay, yeah, that's funny, but this, this, and this, this is why you can't do that. And nine times out of ten, they go, okay, I was just being silly. I'm sorry, and take a step back. The boundary I have set, and I let all my players know this, the boundary I set that will get you hurled from my table without even a, a warning is if you bring up or if you try to use or uh, act out S.A. That is a hard no for me. I don't care if you're trying to be funny. Yeah. You are you are no longer working on my it's table. It's not a thing you will we leave. joke about, yeah. That's not a thing because I, I have had, like, I have had people, close friends with experiences. I have had experiences with it. And it's not something that I will even consider allowing at my table. But that is something that is a, first of all, that's a boundary nobody should be pressing to start with. And if you're the kind of player or person who likes to push that boundary for fun and shock value, <laughs> get off our podcast. Yeah, you're probably not going to make it past session zero. Because no. that's another thing. It's okay in session zero to go, you know what? We're all pretty cohesive here. I don't think this is going to be what you're looking for. Um, we're going to pass. Yes, and that that is something else that it is okay. We kind of touched the beginning. It is okay to look at the table and go, "I'm sorry, this really isn't for me," and leave. Yeah, it's also okay for the table to go, "I'm sorry, you're not going to fit here. Please leave." Yeah. Uh, now that and that cannot just be the player. Like I have, I've seen games where the dungeon master just kind of began to set, oh, start saying things about what's allowed, what's not allowed, and the entire table looked at each other and went, "We're going to leave now." Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the red red cards, the the basically the utter the things that you know if somebody if it happens, now accidents happen. I understand that it is okay. You can be be forgiving, but don't think you have to sit there and take something. And it boundaries are a big deal when it comes to anything. And I, I don't think we'll have enough time, but I would love to do an episode where we talk about, you know, red flags and things that, you know, players can look out for and dungeon masters can look out for that may let you know, okay, this may not be something I want to kind of, you know, get become a part of. Yeah. I may need to look somewhere else. And that's fine. If th that's the thing, this is a game. I've, I've said before, if you aren't having fun, if you're not enjoying it, then you it's, it's a game. You shouldn't be playing it. Correct. It is okay to say no, to say, I don't like this. I'm going to go somewhere else. Yeah. And like places like here at the Hive, you have a plethora of game masters that people can choose from. You don't like one style, uh, but that—that's the big thing. If it's not working, it is okay to leave. Yeah, I—I I hate the term. Well, you know, bad D and D is better than no D and D. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. I'm not going to sit somewhere and be miserable trying just to you know have a fantasy adventure where I can go read J.R.R. Tolkien and put myself in the place of Gimli. Is it weird? I always put myself in the place of Gimli. No, I can see it. I can see it. I mean, it'd be weird if I was like, if I put myself in like the place of Galadriel or something. That's weird. Yeah, that'd be really weird. But no, for some reason, Gimli was the one I was kind of associated with. Uh, I could go read a book or something and have my own adventure like that. Yeah. Don't stay in an unhealthy relationship. If if you are suffering, whether it be D&D &D or otherwise, don't stay in an unhealthy relationship. You, you can be happy. If you were in a in in any part of any any relationship, because that's what a D and D party is, it's a relationship. When you boil it down, yes. If you're in a relationship where you give and give and give, 
and you are either the only one only one giving or if people are not giving as much as you or if you're getting nothing out of it, it's time to sit down and have a conversation with people. And if they don't want to change who they are, that's when you go, I'm sorry, this isn't for me. I'm going to leave now. Yeah. Because it has to be a conscious choice. Yeah. There needs to be a mutual level of exchange there. That is healthy. It shows respect. Yes. Uh, the respect, boundaries, and for a good game that'll... That's, I'm lucky enough that because like with, we had the place set up, we, the natural one games has been running for seven months at this point at the recording of this podcast. And, but there is a, when we sit on the table, there's a sense of respect. There's a sense of friendship, of camaraderie that lets me know this is a great game. And these are great people. And ultimately that should be what you're looking for. That moment of, I'm getting to play D&D. I'm getting to play D&D. Just get excited when you yeah. say it. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's kind of kind of a decent overview of the, of the session one. You know, yeah. basically just talk about things. Communication is the biggest thing. Don't, don't think like you have to go in and set terms. But be, be productive enough, be progressive enough to go, hey, this is what I want out of this game. Yeah. And, but I'm willing to work with people to kind of get a, a mutual mutual beneficial destruction, so to speak. Because yeah, okay. ultimately in the end, the dungeon master is going to go, okay, we, we've got boundaries, everything's set, we're prepared. Cool. Roll for initiative. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I think we're going to end the podcast for today. Thank you all so very, very much for joining us. Uh, we, we kind of, again, chased rabbit holes, but I think the ultimate idea of what we want, we talked about in the session zero got across and that's, that's the main thing. And so no matter when or where you're listening to to this podcast, playing with advantage, I am Kenneth Moffat, AKA Southern D and D. And I am James Wardwell at the Hive. And we'd just like to thank you for sitting with us and listening to us. And we hope that something we've said today will help to better your experiences in tabletop role playing games. Thank you guys. Later. Hey. <laughs> <laughs>